I love this piece of music. Next guest very well, Dr. Manuela Joano. She and her very dedicated team have given new hope to those first responders and Canadian Armed Forces personnel struggling with severe PTSD. So welcome back to you, welcome back to you, Manuela. Thank you so very much, Steve. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Talk about drugs today. Sure. Why not? Um, it's something I'm passingly familiar with due to a misspent youth, but uh, we're not going to talk about things like that. Are you familiar with the, uh, the group, The Monks? Oh, yeah. Oh, 1979, Drugs in My Pocket? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> they were big in the UK and Canada, but that's about the only two places they were big. I'm going to have that song in my head now. Yeah. You don't happen to have any drugs in your pocket, do you? I do not. Well, there go the plans for my weekend. Thanks a lot for that. Um, what, what is, let's just jump right into it. We'll, we'll talk about um, how uh, psychedelics are, are being used currently or tested currently uh, in, the, in the use of uh, treatment for mental uh, health. Uh, correct? There is a new frontier that's ahead of us right now, and that, you know, we're starting to um, really explore the potential that the psychedelics have in mental health, and I think it's pretty exciting. Well, let's start off with you're, you're treating a uh, non-ordinary state of mind. What is a non-ordinary state of mind? actually not treating a non-ordinary state. We're trying to capitalize and make use of the potential that is given by inducing non-ordinary states. So a non-ordinary state is when you have a different form of consciousness. You're still able to be aware of what's happening. You can perceive, you can judge, you can appreciate However, you're not using your usual consciousness and your usual cognitive abilities. They're presented to you in a different way, so you get a really different objective view of yourself and the world that you live in. All right, I, th- I think we'll jump, uh, jump into that a little more here in the upcoming uh, questions. Um, what, are the, what are the different types of psychedelics currently being used in, in treatments? or uh, uh, You don't want to say treatment, you want to say... I think it's a therapy might therapy. be the right word. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are a number of different classes and please understand I am not an expert. I mean, I could have brought the textbooks and we could have gone through each different class, but there's you know certain ones that are have been used traditionally in some of the sort of tribal ceremonies that um, are well known and the shamans have, of course, used different plant medicines for years. Usually the shamans actually themselves took the medicine to bring visions and projections and advice to the people that they were working with. So there's all kinds of things. If you look through the history of various tribes, you'll see that there's um, quite a story of plant medicine. And, you know, we've heard talk about uh, ayahuasca ceremonies. There are people that go down to Peru and to the jungles to work with shamans there to go and do some soul searching with the help of these plant medicines. There's mescaline, there's um, psilocybin, of course, is something that people are really looking at, that mushroom that has this powerful drug within it that can give you a mind-altering state. And um, there's MDMA, there's uh, quite a field of research now looking at the potential for the use of MDMA, which is known as an empathogen. In other words, it makes people more empathetic. 
And then the one that I'm most familiar with, of course, as an emergency physician is ketamine. Uh, right now, ketamine is the only legal drug that we can use. Mind you, using ketamine to induce a non-ordinary state that can be used in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is still considered off-label, so it does not have Health Canada approval for this indication. However, you know, there's a lot of study that's happening using ketamine intravenously as an infusion, which we know the molecule itself has some antidepressant properties but then the real gift, I think the real opportunity here with ketamine and the other psychedelics is that it affords an opportunity to do some psychotherapy surrounding the use of this non-ordinary state. Okay, let me hold that thought a minute. What is psychotherapy? Ooh, there's a very good question. You know, when I first graduated from medical school and, you know, I was maybe a bit older than some people in my class because I did a few things before I went into medicine, but, you know, relatively still wet behind the ears when you graduate. And people were coming to me as a physician for therapy. And I'm thinking, okay, you're coming to me for advice? Like, how could I possibly help you? What do I know? And then I was thinking, well, you know, um, OHIP actually pays me to sit with people and do this thing we call psychotherapy. There's, you know, billing codes for psychotherapy. So it really made me think, what is this thing that we're doing? And I came to understand that really all psychotherapy does is to help somebody achieve an attitude about their life situation, what they've been through, what's going on in their life, their circumstances, an attitude about it all that you can live with in peace. That's what I think psychotherapy is. That's my own definition. Okay. Sounds pretty comprehensive. How Does it differ from a yeah, psychologist, like seeing a yeah, psychologist? So yeah. Psychiatrists are medical doctors who right. have specialized in the field of psychiatry. Um, psychologists have a different um, training path and they have a PhD in basically the study of, you know, how the mind yep. thinks and how it creates certain behaviors that give you the results of your life. So, I mean, truly mental health professionals, whether they're psychiatrists, psychologists, psychotherapists that come from a background of social work or education or psychology, they all have a really important place to play in how we provide mental health services. In a team kind of setting. Absolutely. Um, are you aware of uh, testing on psychedelics uh, anywhere else in Canada? Like- I know that there have been some studies ongoing since probably 2016 or 17. And with some of the uh, larger university centers, they were doing some head-to-head trials using ketamine as opposed to uh, ECT, um, electroconvulsive therapy for depressive states. And I do know that um, the research did, you know, show some some pretty definite um, advantages or at least positive benefit to the use of um, ketamine. Okay, I don't know a lot about ketamine as a... uh as a psychedelic, I mean, certainly growing up, there was LST, um, mushroom psilocybin, as you say, peyote, um, but ketamine didn't come into the uh, the picture at all for us or my age group. Um, but I recently interviewed a, a drug addict who uh, ketamine was his drug of choice. So why, why would you um, use ketamine instead of, say, I don't know, LSD or peyote? 
Well, I don't know a lot about LSD or peyote, but I can certainly tell you about the advantages of ketamine. So ketamine first came on the scene in the 70s as a horse tranquilizer. And um, then we started using it in humans as an anesthetic agent, and it's what we call a dissociative anesthetic. So it actually starts giving people perceptual distortions. So we certainly can see that when we use it as an anesthetic agent. Sometimes when people are coming out of the anesthetic they can have some, you know, strange perceptions. Their senses can be off a little bit. So uh, usually in the emergency department, we're going to use it for, say, induction of anesthesia if we're going to intubate somebody. But we also use it for procedural sedation sometimes. If you dislocate your shoulder, a shoulder, I was just going to say, yeah. if you put your shoulder out, we want to kind of snow you a little bit so we can put it back in without causing you too much pain um, or having you really remember what we've done to you. It... Um, it's it got quite a few good uses. I mean, it is a good analgesic as well. They're using it in some chronic pain clinics for that purpose. But the nice thing about ketamine is that it's fairly predictable in terms of its you know, time of onset, the time that it lasts in your system and how people come out of it. You know, it can cause some side effects. It can cause some nausea. It can cause dizziness. It can cause, you know, blurring of vision or even, you know, temporary double vision. But all of these things are fairly short-acting. And it's really only typically around 45 minutes to 90 minutes that it's really active in your system. Mm-hmm. So I think that gives it a great advantage over some of the other things. I mean, if you so take... So it's shorter, shorter-acting. Shorter-acting, yeah. Yep. Funny thing about it is it's pretty idiosyncratic in terms of its dosaging. Like, I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. So, you know, some people are very fast metabolizers. It's a quick onset, quick offset. Some people are more slow in the way they seem to take it up and react to it. And they can be a little bit more slow to come out of it. But um, you can't really go milligrams per kilogram when you're trying to target for a psychedelic dose. Of course, if you give people too much, you're anesthetizing them, Right. right. Um, well, let me interrupt you for a second. We might need a nurse for this, um, but what what would the average dose for 180, if if you were doing a procedure, say dislo- uh, uh, putting a shoulder back in place, um, what would the normal uh, dosage of ketamine be for, say, a 180 pound man? Well, you're talking milligrams per kilogram. Right. I mean, you can go anywhere from, you know, one to four milligrams per kilogram if you are looking at sedation on the later end or up to you know, anesthesia at the, at the higher end. Don't quote me on that. I'm not an anesthetist. I don't try to, you know, to um, anesthetize people, but um, the sedation piece is uh, a little bit more manageable for sure. Okay. So what dose would you say use if uh, trying to get a psychedelic effect uh, out of somebody? Well, like I said, it's very idiosyncratic, so you can't really tell what dose is going to work. We have a few ways of, you know, sort of testing it to see what kind of response people are going to get. But we're probably working with somewhere around the one one milligram per kilogram, roughly. But again, it's, okay. it's very, very different for every person. All right. So what what type of person is, is suitable for uh, treatment with uh, ketamine? Maybe the best way to answer that is to talk about the contraindications, first of all, medically. So you don't want to give it to anyone who has uncontrolled hypertension. Because the interesting thing about ketamine is that it actually preserves blood pressure. I can talk to you about this because you're a PA. So it actually increases blood pressure, can increase heart rate. So you can get anywhere from 10 to 20 milligrams of mercury increase in blood pressure while it's active in your system. 
Funny story, um, ketamine was called a buddy drug back in the, um, you know, back in the wars where they actually were giving ketamine to troops that were at war because they felt that, we're talking about the Vietnam War here, because it's so safe as a medication that's not going to cause respiratory depression or blood pressure drop. So if somebody gets injured on the field, you know, you don't really want to give them a painkiller that's going to drop their blood pressure further. But apparently they were giving the drug to some of the troops just to have on hand because if your buddy got injured, you could just give them an IM dose of ketamine and it would help with pain and it would also sustain their blood pressure and their cardiovascular functioning and maybe, you know, keep them around long enough for definitive help to arrive. So it's a pretty safe drug that way, but you don't want to give it to someone who's got uncontrolled hypertension. You don't want to give it to somebody who has coronary artery disease for that reason as well, because it can cause increased um, cardiac demand. You don't want to give it to anyone who's got um, liver failure um, or, you know, severe kidney failure. And um, there, there's a few other kind of conditions. You don't want to give it to people who've had a hemorrhagic stroke, for example, or who have AV malformations. Or, so that there are and what's few, an AV malformation? Oh, um, <laughs> arteriovenous malformation, where you might have some shunting or something where you just don't want to increase the, um, the blood pressure in that abnormal area of vasculature. It, it is kind of uh, interesting that you mentioned Vietnam, because soldiers have been a great traditional... Uh, test rabbits for uh, many drugs. Uh, the uh, Nazis were using speed. I think the Americans were using speed in World War II as well to keep their guys going. I think there's still some use of it. Uh, a couple of years ago, it came up in the uh, uh, as use, used by pilots to keep them uh, on their edge for at least a few moments anyway. Um, so yeah, we've been an agent orange, of course, uh, nuclear mm-hmm. testing. <laughs> so a lot of soldiers out there have been great testing grounds. Okay, so that's the contraindications. What are the indications for? Uh... So there was a recent meta-analysis that was published by Cambridge that looked at the different um, sort of studies that have been done for different indications. So there appears to be some evidence that the ketamine and other psychedelics could be helpful with um, certainly depression and suicidal ideation. There seems to be some indication for PTSD. There's work now that's being done for the use of ketamine in alcoholism and other drug addictions and um, bipolar illness. Um, Of course, one of the contraindications is psychosis. And you wouldn't want to give ketamine to someone if they were, you know, heading into a manic phase because that could precipitate it. But um, so it, it really does offer some intriguing opportunities to look at how we can maybe push past some of the typical barriers for mental health treatments. And let's see what I have here. Um, so many, many of those of, uh, of the people in my age group have, have as I said, aren't familiar with uh, ketamine. Um, but and you, you've, you've explained why it's preferable to use it. Um, but what I, what I recall from my, uh, testing with psychedelics, well, you were out there, uh, nerding it up and studying. I was on the cutting edge of, uh, of experimentation for medical purposes only, of course. Um, and I found that, um, to avoid a bad trip, 
where you were and who you were with was very important to, uh, um, to get a good trip out of. How, uh, in, in a medical situation, how important is the setting and the uh, surroundings? Oh, and it's <laughs> imperative. So we know that when we give ketamine to people in the emergency department, you know, and they're coming out of it, People can have a lot of negative experiences. They can have this dissociative experience that is really distressing. But again, it's not the right environment to have a really good, you know, um, non-ordinary state. You've got all kinds of bells and alarms going off and people coming and going and a lot of commotion. So um, if you look at the literature and you look at the training that's being put forth for the use of psychedelics in this fashion... They put all the emphasis on preparing people and helping them with the right mindset or a setting, as they call it. Um, sorry, the right set and the right setting, the right environment for administering this medication. So people have to be ready for what might come to them when they're having this experience, but they also need to be reassured they're in a very safe place because there's any number of things that can happen. 